dad jeff burnham and this week we have a super special double feature from 1958 we watched what movies alistair the blob and fiend without a face that's right the blob and fiend without a face both from 1958 both creature features so we're going to start off the podcast talking pretty heavily about the blob we've got a lot to say about the blob And then we'll wrap up talking a little bit about Fiend Without a Face. We don't have a ton to say about it. There's a lot of talking, not a lot of monsters, and being a monster movie podcast, we like to focus on the monsters, right? So I like the monsters because they're invisible. In Fiend Without a Face? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And we'll talk about that. We'll get to that. And later in the movie, we see the whole monster. Absolutely, absolutely. But there's a lot of talking, and Alistair wasn't into much of the early stuff. So we'll focus heavily on the blob first, being a classic, and then touch on the underappreciated classic Fiend Without a Face later in the podcast. But let's get started here talking about the blob. Do you want to tell our listeners about the blob? So the blob is a blob that eats people, and it gets bigger, starts in the movie... The guy and the girl are talking, and then the media falls down, and then the old man's checking, and then the man pokes it with a stick, and then the breaks, and then the blood thing's on the man, and then he screams, and then they have to go to the doctor, and then the blob gets bigger, because he eats the people. So let's go back to the beginning of the movie, huh? Let's talk about the old man. You mentioned him, and he gets the blob on him. like the one man gets killed like that now you tell your statement about it let me backtrack a little bit so the movie stars steve mcqueen as a character named steve and our main character steve is on a date with jane jane's played by anita corsat who would later be on the andy griffith show or was on the andy griffith show at the time i'm not sure which now that i think about it But Steve McQueen plays our main character, and I don't know if you know Steve McQueen as an actor, Alistair. You've seen the chase scene from Bullet. I know that. Steve McQueen also starred in The Great Escape, Towering Inferno, and one of my personal favorites, Sam Peckinpah's Junior Bonner. But Steve McQueen here plays, as I mentioned, Steve, who's a young man who just wants to kiss a girl when they see a shooting star, right? And that's the meteor you mentioned. And when they go to find it, they almost hit an old man who's running across the road. And why is he running across the road? So first, how it starts, he wants to get the girlfriend. Then they see a meteor coming. Then the old man just goes out. And then it gets on his stick. Then he tries to take it off, but it keeps coming down. Mm-hmm. And what, and is it, what does it wrap around? Wraps around his hand. Exactly. Then the doctor puts the thing on, and then it gets larger and larger. When that girl comes, then he tells her to check, and then he says, he's not there. And then the doctor checks, then the blob is still there, then she falls something out, but it doesn't make it dead. Right, the blob 
absorbs the entire body of the old man. And that's how the blob eats, eats people. people. Exactly, exactly. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger the more people it eats. Now, when the blob absorbs people, that's something we don't see a lot of. It's not super gory or anything. It just wraps around the old man's hand. And that's probably the goriest thing we get in the movie is when his arm's completely being absorbed by the blob. And instead of his arm, it's just kind of like a giant jelly arm from the looks of it. Not super gory. It's not a jelly arm. It looks like a jelly arm, but it's not really a jelly arm. That's all I have to say. It should be noted for... Any listeners that if you plan on showing the blob to your kids, you want to get the version right, because with regard to the gore, there is a far gorier and scarier 1988 version of the blob. This is the 1958 we're talking about. The 1988 is not kid-friendly in basically any way. So yeah, the blob gets bigger and bigger the more people it eats. And who does it eat? Uh, It eats a lot of people and then... And then in the theater, we see the people uh, watching the movie, and then we see it coming in, and then that's all we see of the... In the movie theater. Yeah, in the movie theater. We see more, because they're trying to, like, get out. Then we see the blob got bigger, but we didn't see that it eat the people. No, it just comes out, and it's much, much bigger than it was when we saw it go in, so we know it ate people. It gives you the impression... It was big first but then it got even bigger and then when it got gianter he was talking he said they had to go home everybody had to go home and then at the very end when they find it they frozen and then they keep it frozen they needed more and then they went back and then a bunch of people came back with fire extinguishers yeah in the very end of the movie sure sure then they started at the thing and then It got frozen, and then at the end, then it got frozen at the end. Sure. What I was trying to say, though, was that we don't actually see the blob eating a lot of people. We get the impression of it, right? It doesn't show us a ton of people getting eaten, but we know that it's eating people because we see the blob getting bigger, and we know how the blob works. We know how the blob works. We see it coming in. But we don't see it eat the people, but we know it's going to eat the people because we see it coming in. Exactly. And we don't have to see it eat people to know that it does. We're smart, right? The audience is smart. The audience is smarter than oftentimes audiences are given credit for. But sometimes we don't see it, but we know it's going to eat it, the people. Yeah, exactly. What happens to the nurse? I think she got eaten. Right. But we don't know that the old man God then. We don't know because then when she's at the doctor, we know because she saw. Exactly. She saw the blob and the blob was bigger. So the blob must have eaten the old man. So first, the blob was a tiny little blob and then it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Exactly. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And how big does it ultimately get in the movie? Uh, like this big. Well, our audience... <laughs> Our listeners cannot see you doing that. It gets, like, so giant, it can cover a store. Exactly. It covers a a diner. Diner. Yeah, it covers an entire diner, wraps itself up around it. Yeah, that's how big it gets. That's pretty big. Pretty, pretty big. So here's a question for you, Al. Who in the movie is trying to stop the blob? Hmm, maybe a little people, but 
Well, it's not the end. They're trying to kill it, but it doesn't get killed. Sure, but my question for you is: Are the adults trying to stop the blob? That teenager still is. Exactly. Exactly. Steve McQueen plays a teenager, and all of his friends are teenagers. But do the police believe the teenagers that there is an evil blob monster eating people? Now they know because they saw it. But do they believe the teenagers at first? No. The police didn't believe the kids at first, and then they said, "I don't believe you." Right. The lieutenant in charge of the police, he does believe Steve, right? He knows Steve to be a good kid, so he does believe Steve, but only so much, right? Like at first, he believes the doctor was murdered, but things just don't add up. So even Lieutenant Dave, who's in charge, ultimately doubts whether or not Steve is being genuine, right? It takes a long time before the police believe the kids, and that's one of the cool things about this movie is that it's not just a creature feature. Right, it's not just a monster movie. It's also fused with a very 1950s-style juvenile delinquency film. It's got a bit of Rebel Without a Cause in there, where you have these kids who are misunderstood by the adults, and they're trying to do what's right, but the adults just won't let them. And there's a dash of that in there, which actually makes this a really interesting movie. So the kids are trying to live their life. At first, we see them, and then. It- Later in the movie, we just see the police a lot. You mean once the blob actually makes itself known to the police? No. Like once the police finally see the blob, then the police kind of take over the movie. Yeah. How do you feel about those parts of the movie? Do you wish it had focused on the kids more, or do you like that it shifts to the police as well? I like the kids more than the other people. And why is that? Because I think the kids are more interesting. I mean, you know, they know that the monster exists. They want to stop the monster. They're trying to help people. And <sighs> when we see the police, all they're doing is just kind of doubting the kids. They're doing the one thing. So when we do actually see the teenagers, it's them trying to accomplish things. So I agree, they're more interesting. They're more interesting because we see them, and then as friends of teenagers, but the police doesn't even know. That the monster existed. There's a long time until they see it. Yeah, the police doubt the teenagers for the whole movie. Now, when we see the blob in the movie, here's a question for you: When we see the blob, how do you think the filmmakers created those creature effects? You know, like when we talked about Tremors, they weren't giant worm monsters in real life. The real life filmmakers had to use puppets and miniatures and all kinds of things to make the monster believable. So, how do you think they did that in the Blob? I think they almost did the same thing, but without miniatures. Well, guess what? There are miniatures in this movie. There are.、Um, when we see the Blob in the grocery store, a lot of that stuff miniature. When we see the Blob coming out of the projection booth in the movie theater, that's also a miniature. So we do get miniatures. The blob is mostly clearly some kind of jelly substance. The blob has a lot of miniatures, but we see more miniatures of other people. But the blob may have the most miniatures. Now I don't think there are any miniatures of people. I think we only see blob miniatures. I don't remember a human miniature. I 
think there's only blonde. Except perhaps when we see the old man's arm, when it's like a jelly arm, when the blob's completely dissolved its arm and it and it's kind of in an arm shape. Maybe that's a miniature. That's one of the coolest effects, though. Some other effects they use in the movie to create the blob are superimpositions, where they, it's kind of like green screening nowadays, but they clearly had a superimposed image in certain spots. Also, paintings. We had a bit of painting and animation when the blob wrapped itself up around the cafe. It was actually done in a painting. They didn't wrap anything around a cafe. They didn't use a miniature. They just painted it. So that's pretty cool. But we didn't see the, the redness coming down from the stairs. We just saw it black. Oh, when it was coming down the stairs into the basement with them? Trying to. Oh, sure. Well, it's very dark. I'm sure it was still red. It was just very dark in that shot. But yeah, we we see it mostly in black at that point. It was trying to get down, but then the guy shoots the cold stuff, and then it, it's allergic, then it goes up, and then it runs out. Sure, 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 sure. It's so, <laughs> yeah, basically it's allergic to cold. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm saying it's allergic to cold because it's going wet. Yeah, what we find out at the end of the movie after they try a whole bunch of different things to kill the blob. Yeah. They try to shoot it. They try to electrocute it. Fire clearly doesn't hurt it. They also try acid on it, but it's basically made of acid, so that doesn't help, right? And what they find out is the only way to stop the blob... Is to cold at it. Is with cold, (laughs) exactly. That's how you do it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the only way. That's the only way. Or you can, like, cold bomb that. Sure, yeah. I mean, not just fire extinguishers, but anything cold will take care of it. Yeah. But well, like, will it kill the blob? Nope. It'll just cold up. Yep, it just freezes. Just freezes. So put it where it slimes, and then it can, like, not move, and then it goes up the thing. So you're saying make it cold where it's trying to go? Yeah. Well, that's what they do when they go into the freezer when they're at the grocery store, right? They go into the cold storage room, and the blob tries to come in under the door. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's cool stuff. And then the blob goes out because it's too cold. Exactly. So, the blob eat more than it should, and then it it covers one building, and then part of it comes in. Exactly, trying to chase them, sure. And then they freeze the blob with fire extinguishers. What do they do with the blob after that? Is it dead? No, they froze it so it can't move. And then what do they do with it? Then the helicopter's too late. It's not too late, though. I think you're misunderstanding what happens in the end. When What we see in the end is actually something we're told more about than we are shown. What happens is actually, once the blob is frozen, they have the military pick it up in some kind of military transport, like a plane or something, or maybe a helicopter. I think it's a plane, though. And they drop the blob off, the frozen blob, in the Arctic. What's so cold? Yeah, so they drop the blob off in the Arctic so that it will stay frozen. So, would you recommend this movie to kids, Alistair? Yes. I think they were like... The ending and the starting. Do you think it's too spooky for kids? No. No? Do you think some kids might be spooked by it? Maybe a little of kids. I don't know. Would you recommend this to the rest of our listeners? Yes. So why don't we talk about the things that our listeners might like in the movie? Let's move now on to The Blob's Beastly Best. 
What do you think is the best monster moment in this movie, Alistair? I think I like when the monster eats the whole man. Eats the whole man. Which man? The old man. The one from the beginning. You think that's the coolest? Like when he's got the jelly arm? Yeah. I think that's pretty cool too. I like that a lot. So why do you think that is the coolest moment in the movie? Because I think it's my favorite part of the movie most. Well, what makes that moment cooler than any of the other blob moments? Hmm, I don't know. There's more best of moments when the blob tries to come in the store. That's the very best moment. You like that one too? Those are my two beastly best. So when the blob eats the old man and when the blob invades the grocery store. Those are good. Those are good ones. Absolutely. I'd say from my perspective, and I might be swayed a little bit by prior knowledge of the significance of this movie, right? And the fact that I've seen it before, but the scene that sticks out to me most as the beastly best is probably when the blob enters the movie theater. It's a classic monster movie moment, seeing the front doors of that movie theater open and all the people come running out after having seen the blob push its way through the projection booth windows into the movie theater. That's sort of a timeless scene, something that has become iconic, right? I'd say if you pointed to anything in the movie as iconic, it would be that particular sequence. So for me, I would say the beastly best has to be that scene. I mean, that's what stood the test of time. I think it's time to get spooked. I think you're right. Get spooked? (laughs) (laughs) And this is the part of the show where, of course, we talk about... It's about the spookiest parts in the movie. That's right. So what is the spookiest part of the movie to you? I think it's when the blob doesn't get electrocuted. That's a good call, because in that moment when the blob doesn't get electrocuted, we think that Steve and Jane and the others down in that cellar are probably going to die. Yeah, I mean, then at that moment, we're like, how are they going to beat this blob, man? Nothing works. Fire, electricity, guns, nothing. Acid? How can you beat this thing? I agree. That's a really spooky moment, because at that point in the movie, our characters give up, and they think they're all going to die. Boy, for me... I'd have to say the spookiest moment is either that, I agree, that's really spooky, that's unsettling, or probably, I think I'm going to have to go back to the jelly arm. I think that's a really great reveal when we see that it's no longer just on his hand, that it's not only taken over his whole arm and wrapped around his whole arm, but there's basically no arm left. It's just blob. I think when we see that, we know everybody's in trouble. That's a pretty spooky moment. I think that's... Much more spookier than mine, but well, so I, th- I don't think so, man. I think yours oh. is a really spooky one. I think you're selling yourself short because I didn't even think of that one. That is a really unsettling moment. You know, one scene we're actually forgetting is where Steve goes around to the back of the doctor's office and he sees the doctor in the window with the blob dissolving his head. We see the blob on his head. Yeah, we forgot about that one. Because that's the moment that really turns things in the movie. That's where everything changes. That's where Steve goes to the police. That's when the police turn against the teenagers. That's when Steve begins to doubt himself. 
because he doesn't even know if what he saw was real because it was so fantastic and horrifying. And when he sees his dad in the police station, right, he tells his dad, Dad, I saw something horrible tonight. You know, not in those exact words, but there's this tone of desperation in his voice trying to get somebody to believe him because he saw a thing he can't really fully comprehend. It's the worst thing he's ever seen. Yeah, I think it is. I think I got two more. I think it's when the blob, like, makes the people run away. At the movie theater? Yeah. So it comes in, but the people doesn't know. And then we see the people run out. Yeah? What's the other one? So, I think it's when the dog runs away from the store. Oh, and we think that the blob's eating the dog. No, but it's actually not there. Exactly, yeah, but we hear the dog barking and yelping outside of the cold storage room where Steve and Jane are, and they think the dog's been eaten, and so they come out and they're like, oh, that poor little dog got eaten by the blob too, but their friends, yeah, their friends revealed to them that the dog ran away, but we do think for a little bit that the dog probably got eaten. Yeah, but it's really not eaten. So that covers all of our get-spooked spookiest moments? Yes. There's one more thing I'd like to talk about a little bit before we move on to our other movie. And that is the theme song. What did you think of the theme song for the movie, Alistair? The theme song is very good. I like when it says it leaps. Oh, sure, sure. Why does it say it leaps? Boy, that's a good question. I don't think it actually does leap throughout the movie, but that is a good question. But yeah, the movie opens with this amazingly goofy theme song, right? And I... It leaps. That's the only <laughs> one I know. It's, it's, it's a super goofy theme song. And we actually <laughs> talked about a goofy theme song when we watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, right? That had a goofy theme song. And that's kind of an homage to... That's right. And that's, and that's an homage to theme songs like the Blobs theme song. The theme song has this really jaunty tune to it, which doesn't suit the tone of the movie at all. The movie's really... Spooky? Spooky, yeah. I mean, for lack of a better word, the movie is really spooky. Steve McQueen is a phenomenal actor, as you probably know, and he does an amazing job playing this character who's utterly terrified and honestly does think that, you know... He and his friends might all die. He's worried about people dying, and you can see it in his face. And that constant pressure that we see on Steve McQueen all the time really does make this movie tense. And that theme song does not suit it, though it is a great theme song. It's a great, silly theme song, but it's a spooky movie. Spooky movie, silly theme song. It's also in the movie, but if you just want to do the theme song, just... Look it up on YouTube, or just watch the movie and see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a good point, Alistair. You should probably actually watch the entire movie. (laughs) I believe you can find the whole movie on YouTube, but if you want to see the Criterion Collection transfer of the movie, you can either obviously pick it up on Criterion Collection Blu-ray or DVD, but we actually watched it on Hulu, because Criterion Collection has a bunch of stuff on Hulu. Anything else to say about The Blob? No. Hey, Al, I've got a question for you. Yes. Do you like podcasting? Yes. Do you want to go to college someday? Yes. 
Well, guess what, listeners? You can help us with both those things. If you like what you hear on CadaverCast and want to hear more in the future, help us keep the lights on, so to speak, by heading on over to our network's GoFundMe page at gofundme.com slash wordsaladpro. Any donations you make there go towards supporting the amazing content at Word Salad Productions. But that's not all. We here at CadaverCast aren't doing this podcast to get rich. I mean, if I wanted to get rich, I wouldn't have gone into education, right? No, this is about nurturing my relationship with my son Alistair and helping him grow up to be as critical and well-spoken as humanly possible. That said, I'm pledging here that any money the podcast brings in over basic upkeep will go straight into Alistair's college fund. So, if you want to help us keep the content coming and support this little guy, who I hope you find as sweet and entertaining as I do, head on over to GoFundMe.com slash WordSaladPro and donate today. It's for Al Bona. All right, so that brings us to the second film in our 1958 double feature special episode of CadaverCast. The film this time around, though, is, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Fiend Without a Face. Now, this is a film that we might have done an entire episode about on its own had it not been for the fact that really, I mean, you don't see the monsters until the last 11 minutes of this movie. Before that, the monsters are entirely invisible and they appear just in the form of, like, falling over brooms and stuff. And it's like a mop, and then he lifts the mop part where you clean, and then he goes at the guy. Yeah, exactly. We see only the monster moving things around it, because it's invisible up until the last 11 minutes of the movie. Um, um, the monster can see where it's going. No, it can't, because it doesn't have eyes. Oh, well, that's a good point. I mean, it would definitely have to use, like telepathic powers, I guess. Yeah. But the reason we wanted to include it in this episode is because that last 11 minutes, the climax of the movie, is amazing. Would you agree with that, Alistair? The last 11 minutes is where they shoot the matchup and then the one opens the door and then they're shooting it. Well, hold up, hold up. You're explaining action here, but we haven't explained anything else. Our listeners, if they've never seen the movie, have no idea what you're talking about. So this movie is essentially about mental vampires, as they're called, or thought monsters. Or brain snake monsters. Brain, Yeah, brain snake monsters, absolutely. Um, Or brain snake butterfly monsters. Oh, yeah, they have antennae. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me get our listeners caught up to speed really quickly. Essentially, this movie takes place in Canada, but in a town where there is a U.S. Air Force base stationed. And the Air Force base is overseeing the operation of a nuclear power plant. As it happens in this town, there's also a professor who specializes in, like, telepathy and the ability to like generate things with your thought make your thoughts real you know make your thoughts manifest in the real world yeah and he can thought about stuff that he doesn't even see sure yeah and he uses like his mental powers to move pages of books he you know telekinetic stuff and then he decides that if he can do that that he can also create creatures with his brains potentially maybe he can use his mind to create another being like externalize his thought as another creature essentially and 
that results in the creation of these monsters who we can't see for most of the movie until the end of the movie when they finally have enough radiation in them to become visible. Or he does that creature on accident or he makes the creature with his mind on accident, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely not on purpose that he makes a malevolent being. He tries to create something beautiful that will potentially externalize his thoughts and allow his mind to continue onward after his death, that sort of thing, right? But it all goes awry. Science goes awry. This is one of those 50s movies that uses nuclear power as sort of a sign of the end of man to come and all the horrors that you can't imagine can result from nuclear power. They don't eat people, they just... Suck their minds by jumping on the people. Yeah, so I think Al's uh, a bit excited to get on to the monsters then, aren't you, bud? Yes. Yeah, they are amazing. Really, monsters these last are... 11 minutes are unbelievably cool. Yeah, because you get to see the monsters. Earlier in the movie, the only thing we see is people getting killed by them. But of course, we don't see the monsters. We just see the people die. But we find out that the monsters were sucking out people's brains through the back of their neck sucking out not only their brains, but their spinal cords as well. So in the last 11 minutes, the town gets extra irradiated and the monsters become visible. And they end up being basically brains, as Al described them, brain snake monsters, right? They have these uh, long bodies that are basically spinal cords. They are spinal cords. And then they have kind of a brain thing with some antennas. With they have antennae, and then they push themselves around using the spinal cord as well as kind of and big old fat nerves that they, like, use as feet, essentially, to push themselves along. They are grotesque. Al, how did you describe them when we first saw them? So, they're disgusting because they have the brain juice when they suck. That's right. As soon as Al saw them, he goes, Yeah, disgusting. Disgusting. Right. <laughs> when is it? That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And they, they are. They're really gross looking. And I thought they were because of the brain juice. Why don't you talk about the brain juice? When they soothe, brain juice spills out. Yeah, when the military men, the Air Force guys, when they are shooting at the brain creatures, trying to defend themselves against these brain creatures, the bullets result in the brains exploding open and just pumping out this chunky, gross brain juice. It's <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> The, the brain juice comes out and it's so it's disgusting <laughs> it is it's amazing i mean the creatures are created in the film using a lot of different special effects techniques al do you have any guesses how they were created and not in not by the characters but by the filmmakers oh i got so i think they like put like a brain mask and then it has little antennas, then it has, like, the computers so they can see what they Ah, I see going. what you're saying. So you think they're, like, masks or maybe, like, robotics? They go on your face? That's not entirely accurate, but that's a good guess. That's a really good guess. Unfortunately, they didn't have computers that could do that back in the day. Like you explained, they couldn't have, like, computer camera relay like that. They were achieved in large part through totally... You know, practical special effects using puppetry, obviously. I mean, it would have all been practical effects in that era, but you know what I mean. 
So they had kind of puppets, big ones that they could move around on strings. But a lot of them were done using stop motion. And the stop motion is what makes them look like they're moving so weird. How they move kind of choppy and fast and weird looking. But how did they make the brain juice come out? Oh, well, that's simple. You just cut a hole in it and then pump that brain goop out of it. You know. Or they will make it and then you cut a hole and then the brain juice will just fall out. Mm-hmm. But they actually pumped it out. You can tell because it gushes out all over the wall. Like right down from the hole. Yeah, it's super it's nasty. It pours from that hole everywhere. It, you, you have to see it. I, I mean, anybody it listening, if you've not seen this movie, I know that when you're watching it, you're going to see over an hour of talking and invisible monsters. And it's going to seem underwhelming. But once you get to that climax, it is all worth it. I guess he put dynamite onto the thing and it blows up but none people got killed. <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a really silly. What I was talking about here is one of the most ludicrous solutions to defeating monsters I've probably ever seen in a film. It's bonkers. <laughs> So in the end of the movie, the characters realize that the only way to stop the monsters is to prevent radiation from getting to the monsters. They have to shut down the power plant because it's leaking radiation, which is causing the monsters to become visible and stronger. And if they can get rid of the radiation, they figure it'll kill the monsters. The the more they eat people, the stronger they get. Well, that's how they multiply, I think. I don't think that makes them stronger. It's really the radiation well, that's making them stronger. Suck the brains out. I think it starts as one. The more brains it drinks, the more, like, more of those come out. I agree. I think that's how it works, too. But, it, okay, so in the end, they need to shut off the nuclear power plant. The monsters have prevented them from shutting it off the normal ways. So our heroes here come up with the bright idea of using dynamite. To blow up the console room at the nuclear power plant, which is not uh, only a bad idea, it's just yeah, a silly idea. Yeah, it's no. not only a silly idea, it's also an incredibly deadly thing to do. You don't just set off bombs in nuclear power plants, that doesn't shut them down. It's more silly thing because it's supposed to kill people, but it doesn't even kill any people. In the real world, if you set off a bomb in an already highly volatile leaking nuclear reactor... Now, I'm no scientist, but I surmise that would create an even larger radiation leak, if not a full-out meltdown of the power plant. It's really, really cool, because then the thing just melts. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, once they blow up the power plant, all of the brain monsters then melt. And that is also super gross. Because then we see all the brain juice. (laughs) Exactly. Then when it melts down, the brain juice just stays on the floor. And it's disgusting. Who's going to clean that up? I nominate you. I nominate your head to do it. (laughs) Okay. Now, I don't really think there's much more to say about the movie. Do you? No, 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 no. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, all right then, man. Let's move on to the beastly best for Fiend Without a Face. What would you say is the coolest monster moment in Fiend Without a Face? I think the coolest is when the, the brain monster breaks it so the other brain monsters can fly in. 
Oh, I see. You're talking about when the monsters break into the house, the one uses its spinal cord to snap the plywood or whatever that they have over the window trying to keep the monsters out. It just wraps around. It just cracks it so they can all jump through the window. So they're trying to trap it so they don't get in. So they put the tape on front of the door and then nothing comes in. And then one gets the window off, the glass off, and then the other one breaks the window so the others can fly in. Yep, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> so they break the glass, they snap it apart. I know, so, so cool. Then it puts the spinal cord on and then pulls it. Then all of them came flying in from each the wax of the hole. Yeah, and like the room gets packed with these things. I mean like 15 of these things jump in. Some of them jump in, then more of them. So they killed all of the ones that jump in. Then pew, so like they jump in and then it pews them, pews the things wherever they are. And then when they jump on people's necks, they just whip it off and throw them on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say uh, the beastly best for me is in that sequence too. And I don't think it's just when they go flying in. Uh, There's one that lands on a table and the older military man, who's like the senior commander, shoots the brain monster that lands on the table. And it's brain juice sprays all over the wall. It's the grossest thing. Oh, man. (laughs) That's so Because we said it at the same time. That's right. That's what it's called. It's called Jinx. That I think it's time to get spooked. So Alistair has a couple ideas for this. So we'll start off with our spookiest moments. And then Al has something that he wants to add on. Al. What's the spookiest moment in the movie for you? I think it's where, like, the guy is standing there, and then he sees the, like, the tail things coming towards him. Which guy? Remember the guy who was standing on the stairs, and then he saw the things, like, going towards him, then the, it sucks his brain? You mean the one that falls down the fireplace? No. It goes into where the Air Force guys are. So the guy's standing on the stairs and then sucks the brain out. Oh, the scientist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure, sure, yeah. Sucks his brain. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the really spooky moments are earlier in the movie when you don't see them. I think once you see them, I wasn't spooked too much. But I think the spookiest stuff was probably early in the movie, before you know what's going on, before you know that there are brain monsters, when it's just something invisible killing people, you know, and it's sucking the brains out and you don't know what it is, only that it's sucking their brains out. That's all you know of them. Yeah. Just sucking their brains out. So there's some spooky stuff in there with the invisible versions running around. But the movie's mostly worth watching for those last 11 minutes. I don't know what monster it is or how it looks or nothing. First, I thought it was like a giant, a giant brain ghost monster that that's a giant and sucks people's brains. Yeah, you thought it was a ghost at first, and then we find out. A giant ghost. A giant ghost, yes. That sucks people's brains. Mm hmm. Al also wanted to add not just spooky moment, but a funny moment. Because Al Al thought there was some really funny stuff in here. So he wanted to add on to Get Spooked. uh, Get (laughs) Silly. Get Silly. Oh, I like that. I like that. Get Silly. Yeah. So in addition to Get Spooked, we're going to get silly. What's the silliest moment? 
I think it's where he puts the dynamite on the thing, but nobody gets killed. <laughs> That's a funny moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and if you do it in real life, people get killed. In that movie, no people get killed. Yeah, and, so and the the extent of the devastation is he jumps on the other side of, like, I don't know, a Jeep or some trash cans or something. He doesn't get really to any safe distance at all before he jumps and a piece of wood and some dirt gets thrown on him. And that's it. So, Al, do you have anything else to say about Fiend Without a Face before we wrap up? No. Should people watch it? Yes. Yeah, you think so? Everybody. Everybody should watch it? Everybody, any people who get spooked. It's a good movie. It's a good one? Yes. Fiend Without a Face, like The Blob, is also available through Criterion Collection. Uh, Again, we watched this one on Hulu. It's only available on Criterion DVD, but uh, it is on Hulu in its entirety if you uh, subscribe to Hulu. So that just about wraps it up for our 1958 double feature episode of CadaverCast. Blob and Fiend Without a Face. <laughs> so, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, we would love to answer them for you. You can reach out to us on Twitter at cadaver underscore cast. Or you can reach us by email at cadavercast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. And yeah, hit us up if you have any questions. We'd love to answer them and love to hear from you generally. And I think that's about it. Al, you want to sign us out here? You've been listening to Cadavercast. I'm Albert. And I'm his dad, Jeff Burnham. We want to thank you for listening. That's right. Thank you, everybody. No, 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 no. That's disgusting. <laughs>